Uh, Exodus, Exodus. We are back in Exodus, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to chapter 19. Uh, chapter 19, we are about six, this is think the sixth week in our study of ex- week, uh, Exodus, I think six, five or six, uh, out of eight. And so a few more left. Let me just catch you up if you're joining us for the first time or forgot where we're at on the story, where uh, we find Israel in this moment. Um, as as uh, Travis said, we're going to be talking about the law and 19, Exodus 19, and this is, Pastor Mike preached on this two weeks ago, how Israel was just delivered from Egypt through the plagues and the Red Sea and had been brought through, and now they're in the wilderness, and there's no food in the water, and they start complaining. Who appreciated Pastor Mike's message uh, the other week, man, talking about complaining, and we complain out of our, our slavery to things, so convicting. Uh, But Israel had just been delivered, and now they're complaining about, man, we should go back there. We had hot food, and God provides for them water out of a rock and manna. So they're delivered. God provides for them. And then God brings them to the mountain that that Moses had met God earlier on. It's a full circle at Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb. And they come to the mountain. Remember, God told Moses in the beginning, go and tell Pharaoh to deliver the people and so that they, my people can come and serve me at the mountain. So God's uh, promise, God's claim came true. I wanted my people to serve me at the mountain, and that's what's happening. They're going to serve him at the mountain, and Moses is about to give the law of God to the people. So that's where we find ourselves at this story, is that God is going to meet with the people of Israel and through Moses communicate how Israel is going to live. At this moment, they had not interacted with God apart from seeing the plagues and seeing the cloud and the fire, but never heard his voice like they are about to right now. They're going to hear God's voice. And it was a trembling and reverent and fearful moment to be in the presence of God as God comes down from the mountain and speaks to them. So the question today we're going to kind of frame our time in is, is simply this. How, and this is a question that we all need to wrestle through, how should we understand and respond to the law of God? I'm not up here to do a history lesson where we just like learn what the Bible said, cool, move on. Uh, We should uh, always strive because the Bible is is relevant to today, God's word, to get what God said back then and also to see what it means for us right now. So how should we understand and respond to the law of God? We're going to learn from the story of Israel how the law is actually beautiful and powerful. Now, as I was thinking about this, I know... Travis said this, and we were praying about this in our pre-service prayer, that many of us, if we're honest, have a skewed view of the law. Uh, Many of us, when we began this series, uh, outed ourselves saying, and I've heard so many people, I don't even read the Old Testament because it's confusing, it seems archaic, it seems like a different kind of God. Anyone ever had those thoughts before, let's be honest? Anyone ever had those thoughts? The Old Testament's confusing? No one had those thoughts because y'all tell me about that after Sunday. Don't lie to me. <laughs> the Old Testament is confusing. It's, the law is negative. It seems archaic. Man, it can't be from the same God. I remember someone coming to me a couple weeks ago. I don't like the Old Testament, Chris, because it feels like there's two different gods. It feels like there's a God over there that's really wrathful and all about rules. And then we have a God that's in Jesus that's really gracious. What's up with that? And so because of that difference and our misunderstanding, we look at the law and we say, man, that's, that can't be good. That, that's negative. That's, that's not for us. And we end up missing something beautiful that God would want us to receive because we look at that negatively. Now, I just want to say this before we jump in. 
uh, I believe you are going to be surprised at how God rolls out the law to Israel. I believe, I think you might have some preconceived ideas of how you think God has rolled out the law to Israel. And yet just God slapped a whole bunch of rules on the Ten Commandments, follow these and let's roll. But there's so much hidden in the scriptures if we just slow down. And we're just taking one Sunday. You can go through this a lot. To slow down to see what was God's intention. Let me give you a spoiler alert. There are 613 known commandments in the Old Testament. Someone say a lot. That's a lot of commandments. I have a hard time, we have a hard time trying to love God and love our neighbor. And that's 613 commandments of things that God had said for Israel to do and not do. So we can look down upon that saying that's old, but there's something beautiful here that God lays out. So here's the outline that will help us see this, this beauty, I believe, will shock us into worship. We're going to spend some time, most of our time, in the purpose of the law. Uh, it's not just random. God had a purpose for it, and he actually tells us the purpose. He tells us the purpose. And then the content in the law, I want you to see some stuff that was in the law that is just necessary. Why did God give all this? Where was it going? What was it about? And then we'll land with our response to the law. And uh, we're going to start with something this week that we did a couple weeks ago. It's going to be every single week, God willing, hopefully every single week. Where we're going to, you know how we did Formation Sundays and we'd end the whole series with a, a big Sunday to recap. Uh, instead of doing that and, and stuffing six to eight weeks in a Sunday, um, we are going to do Formation Moments after every Sunday. So instead of Formation Sunday, we are going to end every sermon, unless, unless it changes, after the message to quickly turn to a neighbor and just process through a, a one or two questions what God is convicting of us of, what is he speaking to us about, so that we can just freshly process it and not just leave it there and move on. We want to share with people. This isn't just a one-way thing where I speak to you and you hear. I want you to interact with the people of God and the spirit of God through his people. So prepare for that. Introverts, extroverts, I know we're all, just pick one person next to you and I'll lead you into discussion so we can process and not just keep it in our minds how to respond to the law. So let's jump into Exodus 19, the law, 613 commandments, the 10 commandments. We've heard these before. We've seen uh, movies about it. And oftentimes when it comes to things that God wants to communicate, we just look at the end results. But I want to train our eyes, train our hearts to slow down, to see how God sets things up. Do you know God is intentional? He's intentional. He doesn't just do things to do things. There's a purpose to everything he does. And if you learn the purpose, purpose, you will understand and see the beauty. I said it this way. If we miss how God prefaces the law, we will confuse God's purpose for the law. It's interesting that God spends a few moments unpacking some kind of preface-like commentary before he ever gives the law. And if we fast forward through those few verses, we will skew the whole understanding of all the commandments in the Bible. There's a reason why God didn't just be like, here, here, here is law. Let's move on. God unpacked it in a way for them to understand the heart behind it. So Exodus 19, what is this? How did God start by processing the law and explaining it to the people of Israel? Exodus 19, 2. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. They're at the mountain. Moses is going up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings, catch this, 
and brought you to myself. So beautiful. Do you see anything about law in this paragraph? Yes or no? Nothing about law in this paragraph. God is setting up, I want you to know that what I did to Egypt, how I delivered and crushed them and, and freed you, and how I did all of that, and I bore you on eagles, and I brought you safely to myself. God brought Israel to himself. Often we would just skip past that, but I want you to see what God is trying to communicate to the people of Israel. God was saying right back when he said to Abraham and he's saying it to Moses and he said it to Israel, look, I, the whole purpose of this whole thing was so that I can be your God and so that you can be my people. In other words, the intention was relationship. Do you think about relationship when you look at the law? Do you think about relationship when you look at the commandments? No, that's just rules. We don't need rules. It's about relationship. It's not about, anyone ever, raise your hand if you ever heard this. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. Raise your hand if you ever said that. I, I, bumper stickers galore, and, and I get the heart of it. Nothing's wrong in one sense, but that kind of perspective uh, uh, enables us to put some kind of stiff arm towards the stuff in the Old Testament. Like, that's religion. We're about relationship. But I want you to see that God is not different in the New Testament than the Old Testament. He did with Israel what he did through Jesus. He brought them to himself and wanted a relationship with them. I brought you to myself. He didn't say, I brought you to the mountain so you can just do all these things. I brought you to myself. Now, chapter 20, he goes on and he prefaces the Ten Commandments with something very unique. He doesn't just jump in and say, okay, so I did that. Now here's the rules and you should have no other gods before me. I want you to look at Exodus 20 verse 2. So the, they get the reality. This is a relationship. I'm going to be God's people. He's going to be my personal God. It's never happened before. And Exodus 20 verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Bless you. Just take a moment for a second. Before God ever says anything about what to do, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What's happening in this moment? Crazy, crazy. So beautiful. Before God tells Israel what they should do, he reminds them of what he has done. See, we so often look at the law saying it's just about commandments and works and legalism. I want you to see there is gospel threads in the law. Before God ever says, do this for me, he reminds them, I did something for you. Come on. God is not just throwing out a statement and throwing out a statement. He wants them to see, I want you to know who I am. I am the Lord, your God, who I am and what I've done for you. And that sets up what I'm going to ask you to do for me. Before God tells Israel anything to do, he tells them what he has done. And if you're Israel sitting there, trembling at this smoke-filled, lightning-filled mountain, you're hearing God's voice like thunder come to you, and he doesn't just come out and say, now obey me because I saved you. He says, hey, I want you to know, I want you to remember, I delivered you. I want you to know that you contributed nothing to your deliverance, in fact. We know the story of the God's deliverance. People of Israel contributed nothing to the deliverance. God saved Israel before he ever gave them the law. Do you realize that? 
God saves Israel before he ever gives them the law. See, often we go, no, no, no. But see, back then, the Old Testament is about works. Now it's about grace. But no, no, that would mean that God was doing something different. There is a revelation and there is uh, Jesus as the climax. But I want you to see that God saves Israel out of slavery before they ever had a, a command to obey or disobey. God is not different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. He wasn't like basing it off works now and then, oh, I changed my mind. I like grace better. <laughs> no, God has always been this way. Different ways to interact with him, but God has always been this way. Before they're ever given the law, he says, this is what I've done for you. Now look at chapter 19. Let's go back to here. He says, now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice, therefore, therefore, in light of the fact that I brought you in out of Egypt, therefore, in light of the fact that I brought you in to be in a relationship with me, in light of that, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me Catch this, a kingdom of priests. If you have a Bible, you should underline that. A kingdom of priests and underline this to a holy nation. God's telling them what's going to happen if they obey the law. You're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay, Chris, but you said it's about relationship and about God saving them before. So why obey? Well, I want you to see here that, that it's very clear. God calls them to obey the law, not so they can become his people, but so they can start to look and live like his people. Big difference. God calls them to obey the law, not so they can enter into a relationship, but with him and be a people. Not, now we're God's people if we obey. No, no, God's not saying that. God says, I've made you my people, and now the law is set out so that you would live and look like the people that you are. Again, a gospel thread in the giving of the Old Testament law. We cannot neglect this because if we neglect this, we end up distorting and missing out the beauty of Jesus. I'll say it a different way. The law wasn't a ticket into a relationship with God, but an instruction on how to engage in this new relationship. See, Israel, all they knew for 430 years was how to live under the tyranny of Egypt. So now that they're freed from the tyranny of Egypt, like we've been freed from sin and under a new master, they don't serve Egypt, they serve God. We don't serve the Satan or sin, we serve God. Now that we're under a new master, we have to be taught how to live in a new way. We do not, now that we're freed, we don't still go back and live by the same rules. And so God says, I want you to know you're already in a relationship with me, but I've given you the law to, to figure out how to work out this relationship. Because you can't work out this new relationship under the same way that you live in Egypt. It's not going to work. The same thing for us as Christians. God saves us into, into the family through Jesus, and we can't operate the same way as we did before we were Christians, relating to God the same way now that we're saved. No, no, no. There's a new way to relate to God. There are new ethics. There are new ways to relate to people. There are new ways to treat others. There is a way to interact with God and help that, flir that relationship flourish. But the law was never supposed to be something that they did so that they can get into a relationship. They were already saved into the people of God. 
Deuteronomy says something about this too. This is beautiful. Fast forward and God's explaining this again to Moses before the people enter into the land. This is crazy. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? We would, we would not read the rest. We would be like, man, yeah, to obey all these laws and to keep these heavy burdens. No, no, look at what God says, what he requires out of the people of Israel. So beautiful. What does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. Can you read this out with me? One, two, three. For your good. I don't know if you've, if you've ever read this, but this is a different way that I've ever seen God approaching the giving of the law. Instead of God being this taskmaster, now follow all these commands that you break. No, God's saying, I just want you to fear me and to walk with me. And this is for your good. He goes on to say, and he finishes out. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Catch this. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Here's a summary of what I think God is saying to the people. Next slide. This is, this is the way that God prefaces the law and explains the law. I've loved you to Israel. I've loved you and chosen you and delivered you. And I want you to walk with me in loving relationship by listening to my voice. This is for your own good. How beautiful is that? Does that change your perspective of something that's so archaic and all oh, that's just, that's just, man, all these rules are so heavy. No, no, no. God is saying something that he will continue to say throughout history. I loved you and saved you and chose you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And I just want you to walk with me in a loving relationship. Listen to my voice. Would you serve me? Would you fear me? Would you walk with me? This is for your own good, Israel. It's not for me. I don't need you to do this. This is for your good. These laws are gonna be a blessing to you. Do you see the commandments in the Bible as something for your good? Or something that you have to just respond to out of a, a duty? He's gotta do these. Israel, if they listened to God, would have never had that perspective. Now we know later on in the Pharisees that they got it all twisted. And they started trying to leverage the law to get into a right relationship with God. That was never God's intention. I want you to know God did not make the law and mess it up with that legalism. The Pharisees did. Israel ended up messing this up. But God was never, God had initiated a relationship before and just wanted them to respond in loving relationship. Just wanted them to respond in loving relationship. How, how that would change how Israel viewed the law, because they had laws in Egypt. You bet they had laws in Egypt, but their laws were not for their good. Their master did not care for their interest. This master, this God cared for their interest and did something to earn their love and response. So beautiful. And he says, I, I did this. I want you to obey me so you can be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Why did God give Israel all these things, all these laws to follow? It's just shocking and beautiful. But when God says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests, I want you to walk with me and I want you to be a kingdom of priests. What he's saying is, I want you 
to live like a priest. What would a priest do? Two functions. The priest would represent God to the people and what? Represent people to God. So what God is saying is, I want you to obey my law. Just walk in loving relationship. Listen to my voice. And as you do so, you will become a kingdom of priests. You will represent me to the nations who don't know me. Again, not just about following the rules because God's in charge and there's some, no, no, no. There's a purpose. There's a beautiful purpose behind this that affects everyone else. Your obedience is not just for your sake. It's for the sake of the nations. Do you see that? Same as Israel. I want you to represent God. I want you to show all the other nations who I am. You are going to be, if you obey, if you don't, it's the different. If you obey, you will be functionally priest to the world that doesn't know me. And you will show them who I am and the beauty of what I have done. Now, you can ask, how was Israel to do this? How does your average Israelite become a priest? Become someone who shows off God through just following these laws. It's the same way that we show off God in the Gospels. Check the next verse. He says, a kingdom of priests and what? A holy nation. You're going to be distinct from other nations. These 613 commandments, they are not just a copy of another culture's rules. These are something from heaven above, from my heart. And as you follow these laws and these commandments, you will begin to look so different than the people around you that they will have to say, who are you serving? What are you about? And they're going to be attracted to their kind of living. Keeping the law would separate them so much that as they're among other nations, the other nations would see them as just, loving, gracious, pure, and monotheistic. See, all the other nations, they serve many gods. This was unique that this little Nation said, no, no, I serve one God. And he speaks to me. He's in relationship with me. And he wants us to treat each other fairly. He wants us to treat each other with mercy. He wants us to be pure. He cares about our sin. He serves us and delivers us before we ever. It's so different than all the other nations. And isn't that what Jesus says? After the Beatitudes, he says, you're going to be a what? A light, a city on a hill. Your obedience, your transformation, you living in my footsteps is going to be a, a light to the nations to show them who I am. God is not different in the Old Testament, the New Testament. Some different language, but the purpose was still the same. So much so that I think First Peter later on would say that you are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood to proclaim the excellencies of the one who got you out of darkness and brought him into the marvelous light. You and I are priests to the world. You get to represent God and the, your effectiveness in representing God to the world is keeping in line with God's rules and commands, following the way of Jesus. Because if you slip into looking just like the other people, you fail to represent God to them and you start looking just like them. Your distinctiveness is your witness, God says. The fact that you're different means you're going to be a witness to other nations. I love that. We've often seen the law as all about legalism and works and rules, but I want you just to stop for a moment and appreciate the threads of the gospel 
woven already through this story of Israel and the law. I, I wonder, do you see, have you seen the law like this? Where God entered into a covenant through relationship, where God saved them before they ever obeyed, where God said, I just want you to respond out of love for me because I've loved you. Where God said, I'm not just having you follow rules as a slave, but as a friend and as someone, as a priest that's going to represent me. That is a high blessing and privilege. The way God set up the law is different than how many of us see it. And I don't think looking through the law, this lens um, can justify our negative view of it. It's beautiful. God had something beautiful planned. And you can see where God was already leading up to one day that Jesus would come building upon what was happening, walking with God in a loving relationship. Now, what was in this law? What did God command Israel to do? 613 commands. Chris, that's a lot. Like, why so many? Why so many commands? That's a good question. You can ask God in heaven because I don't have the answer on why that is the case. But I think one of the reasons might be that God wanted them to live so utterly different than the world that he had to prescribe an instruction for every level of life, every kind of relationship. And that's exactly what the law does. So 613 commands, and some of them are repeated over through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You can go to the next slide. But we often break up the commands into three different sections. This is not broken up in the Bible this way, but this is a helpful uh, lens by which we can see the difference in the laws. There are civil laws, there are moral laws, and there are ceremonial laws. This is going to help us understand why we don't obey some of them today. The civil laws were more of a societal regulations, how the society was supposed to act. I hope you know Israel was a nation too. It wasn't just like the random people of God. They were a nation. So they had boundaries, they had rules, and had, had, how was the society going to interact with each other and how are they going to treat each other and how to taxes and, and fees and, and treating with outsiders and government. How were they going to operate in that way to that state? So civil, societal regulations. Some of them fall under the moral category, which is about justice and relationships. It's how you treat one another. How do I treat someone when they've murdered my cow? <laughs> you don't have that problem. I mean, unless I'm a murder cat, which I'm fine for because I'm not really a fan of cats, but whatever. Uh, we don't have that problem, but they did. What happens when someone falls into your land and, and, and dies? What happens when you have to uh, tell the truth in a court case? What happens when you have to interact with an outsider that's not part of Israel? How do you interact with people in justice in a flourishing relationship? God had to say, this is where the Ten Commandments come from. God had to say, I want you to treat each other differently than how you were treated in Egypt. 430 years of a people's history in a unhealthy place like Egypt would have ingrained some kind of living that God had to work out. Remember, it took God a day or a couple of days to take Israel out of Egypt. It would take God many years to take Egypt out of Israel. Many years for God to unwind the idolatry and the behavior that they learned in Egypt and take that out of their hearts. And this law was helpful for that. And lastly, not just how to relate as a government and a society, not just how to relate in relationships, to be kind and not to lie to each other, but ceremonial. This is probably one of the most uh, largest chunks. This is all of Leviticus on sacrifices and purification. 
We're going to talk about this next week and, and how the, co- the old covenant is different than the new covenant. But I want you to know there's a whole book called Leviticus. If you haven't read it yet, often probably you get to the Bible reading plan. You kind of go through that and you're like, this is hard. What's going on with all these sacrifices? I got to twist a pigeon's head off. I got to cut a goat's head. I got to do all this stuff. What was that for? It was simply for a setup to help Israel relate to a holy God. They were sinful. He was holy. And because he wanted a relationship with them, they had to do some things to get into his presence. Does that make sense? They had to do some things. A holy people could not just walk in, or an unholy people could not just walk into a holy God's presence and commune with him. And so what happens? God sets up this whole system so they have to do all these sacrifices and purification to be able to interact with God and worship him. Sounds boring to us. That's because we have Jesus who was the ultimate sacrifice for once and for all died so that we could be cleansed. But back then, their sacrifices pointed to a better sacrifice where they had to every single day, every single week, the priest is sacrificing and spreading blood because of the sins of the people. Also, God can be with them and they could be with God. Why did God do all this? Can you see that God wanted them to flourish as a society and interact with him? Here's an example of a, of a civil law that we see in the Bible. It's beautiful. It's so counterintuitive. You shall not oppress a sojourner, someone that's traveling through your land that's not an Israelite. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. It's so beautiful, so counterintuitive of the land and of the day and of Egypt. God says, I want you to treat people that are passing through kindly. Why? Because you know what it was like to be a sojourner not in your home. See the gospel thread of kindness and loving someone. You've been forgiven, so you forgive. God's like, I want you to be able to treat people that are outside of your family and tribe this way. Here's an example of a moral law. We see this is basically the Ten Commandments. He says, I don't want you to murder. I don't want you to commit adultery. I don't want you to steal. God is setting them up for things that look so contrary to Egypt and to other nations. I want you to flourish in your relationships. And this is the part of the law, the moral law, which I would say Christians, if you were going to be like, do we have to do any of this anymore? Yes and no. Yes and no, because Christ has come to fulfill the law, and we're going to talk about that. But yes, in the sense of, we don't have to worry about different fabrics. David said I was wearing a Canadian tuxedo. Is that, I don't know what that is. I'm just so out of fashion. I'm just so out of fashion that I naturally walk into fashion though. So what does that say about my skill? Uh, but this is two different kinds of fabrics. Back then, they weren't, they weren't allowed to do that for some reason. Now, we're not under that law anymore. So when people say, oh, you're picking and choosing, no, no, no. There are some laws that were just for that people at that time because of health, because of dietary restrictions, because of that land, because of things that was happening around other nations. But the things that are, are the thread that keeps continuing is how to treat other people, especially in light of the Ten Commandments. That's still bearing on us. Jesus actually raises the bar, which we'll see. Then lastly, the ceremonial law, which of course we know that Jesus fulfills. If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments, let me read that again. If anyone sins unintentionally, what does unintentionally mean? You don't mean to. Oh my gosh. So every time you sin and you even mean to sin, you have to what? Offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. Can you just put yourself in that, in that position? The priests would have to offer a bull. You know, you know how big a bull is? 
We're talking about killing a bull on the altar because of your unintentional sin. Every single moment of Israel in that time, they were reminded of their sin and God's holiness. Every single moment they failed, they were reminded of how I need to walk into God's presence without just my sin. I have to have someone that's gonna pay the price for me to be clean, to walk into God's presence. Oh, what a, a shadow, a foreshadow to Jesus one day. But in that moment, they had to do just that, to be clean before God. 613 commandments. The law was a gift to Israel. This was a gift. It wasn't a, uh, always a burden. People turn it into a burden. This was a gift. It helped them deal with their continued sin. It helped them, it showed them how to relate to God. It taught them how to live in community. It helped them to be a light to the world. Can we say that the law is beautiful and good? Paul says that in Romans. Don't hate on the law. The law is good. There's not a problem with the law. There's a problem with your heart. The law reveals the sinfulness in us, but nothing was wrong with the law. The law came to show us how we could not live up to God, but the law is good. Those laws are helpful. And to Israel, they had a path that was now cleared. This is how I live out my relationship with God. And I imagine they would want something like that when they enter into this relationship with God who is so powerful, they would want to know how do I interact with God? How do I deal with God? And that's why, just a side note, reading your Bible is so important. It's not just a religious duty. This is how you understand how to uh, engage in a flourishing relationship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit is in you, but the Holy Spirit speaks the truth of the scriptures. If you're not in your scriptures and you're just living by your own wills, this world will, will give you other laws to live by and you will sadly, because your flesh is strong too, often opt for those. You have to train your mind, renew your mind, Paul says, to what? To see that the statutes and the laws and the rules of God are not burdensome. They're a pathway to life. They're a pathway to blessing. Thank you. Deuteronomy, God is telling them right before they enter into the promised land. I put before my law, right before you in your eyes, Israel, and I want you to know if you follow them, there'll be blessing. And if you don't follow them, there'll be cursing. Now we could say, well, that's Old Testament, not now. I want you to know, you might not be cursed, but how many of you know if you don't obey God, Things don't always work out the way they should be. Yes or yes? And how many of y'all know when you obey God, there's oftentimes blessing? Yes or yes? Yeah, so it's the same thing. God is not the different God back then. Yeah, the cursing was just a destructive implication and consequence to their disobedience. Why? Because when you while out of the Creator's rules, you will experience pain. But when you live in line with the Creator's rules, you will experience blessing. It's like going against the grain of the universe or going in the grand universe. You want to go in the way that God created you to live out. So whether you're a Christian or not in this room, people who are outside living apart from God, not living in his ways, the reason why they're feeling the burden and the things not working out, it's not just because God hates them, but because God has set up a way to live and function in this world. And if you don't live and function in that light, you will experience frustration and pain. Obedience leads to blessing. Not because God's about works. No, because God has set a path forward for us to flourish in. Now, here's the question I want to end with. This is all good for Israel, right? Cool, the law is good, it's beautiful. I see that God wanted to be in relationship. Hopefully you have a different perspective. There's some gospel threads flowing through Israel's story of God giving them the law after they had saved them. 
But the, law, the question that you should be answer, uh, asking and that I would ask is, how do we respond to the law in light of the gospel? How, how do we interact with these rules in light of Jesus? Like Jesus has come, Chris, so the law might be beautiful, but we don't need any of that stuff anymore. It's funny, I think Christians often go to two sides of the uh, different extremes, often. We go to two sides of the spectrum. We, we rush to one side or rush to the other when it comes to the law. And I want to walk us through just a quick perspective on how we need both sides of the spectrum to live as faithful followers of Jesus. Romans six fourteen, Paul says this famous statement, you are not under law, but under grace. Let's read that together. One, two, three. You were not under law, but under grace. What he's saying is, it's not just you're not under the regulations. You were not under that kind of era. You're under a new era. The law doesn't control you and call your shots. Grace does. Hooray! That's awesome. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to keep and have to obey. We're under grace. And this is where we receive this biblical truth and we run to the extreme. Now, here's the truth about this. Jesus came to what? Fulfill the law. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I did not come to throw the law away. I did not say it was bad. I came to fulfill it. Why? Because it was ultimately all about me. The law was all about Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled everything the law had said. Not just following all the 613 commandments, though he was perfect, he fulfilled the purpose of it. Hebrews says the law is a shadow pointing to a greater reality, which is Jesus. By faith, we are made righteous. We know that salvation is by grace, not by works. This is all true. If this is true, that we're under grace now, we don't have to... Follow the law. We don't have to do all these things. This is grace and not works. And that means that this calls for the Christian to experience rest. That's good. If you're following Jesus and you don't ever experience rest, there's an issue in you understanding the the core principle of Jesus, which is that I've saved you and I've carried the burden for you. Now, that's one side of the spectrum. And it's beautiful. But look what Paul says next. This is where we move to the other side. What does this all mean? We're not under the law, we're under grace. This is where we start to think in our head. Does it mean we are free to sin because we are under God's grace and not the law? What Paul was doing was was, uh, preemptively putting down the thoughts of what we would always say. Look it, I'm under grace. So I can just while out. I mean, grace, God forgives me. So I can just kind of do what I want and it doesn't really matter. I know we would never say that. But Paul had imagined that some people would say that because our sinful hearts oftentimes draw back to like, wow, grace, cool, license to do what I want. You might never say it, but we live like this. Grace frees me from having to follow all these rules. We say it's just by faith now. It's not about religion and rules. It's about faith and relationship. I want you to see what Jesus says about that. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Wait, so is Jesus like about legalism now? No, no, no. But you see what Jesus is saying. You are under grace, not the law. But if you love me, you will obey my commandments or he says later on, First John, John says, by this we can be sure that we have come to know Jesus. You want to know, am I saved? You want to know, do I know Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us how to know if we know Jesus. Here it is. If we keep his commandments, 
This is not saying you do this to, to start knowing Jesus. This said this is the verification. Here's the next slide, the other side of the spectrum. Jesus raises the bar on holiness. He calls us to obey him. Our obedience verifies our salvation. When I say Jesus raises the bar of holiness, I mean, when Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, he literally says, you have heard it said this. This is what Moses said, but this is what I say. So in case we think that Jesus said, well, it's about grace, it's not about works, I want you to see Jesus loved the law so much, he went deeper to even the heart. Because what did he say? You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, don't even look at someone with lustful eyes or you've committed adultery. Jesus doesn't come in and say, well, the law doesn't matter. It's all about grace. Jesus actually raises the bar and comes to the heart, not just the outside. It's not just about not doing the act of adultery. It's about having the heart that wants to and is committing it when no one looks. Jesus raises the bar. It is so true that you're under grace. But he says to his followers, he would say to us, Movement Church, the the man to obey still stands. You're not obeying to get saved, but you do obey as a person who is saved. We don't neglect obedience because of grace. This calls for effort. If the first grace, and we're under, not the law, but grace calls for rest that Jesus saved us and not our works. If that calls for rest, then this truth calls for effort that we should obey Jesus. We should care about our obedience. And so the question remains as we end, how do we live out this tension as New Testament Christians who have these commands of Jesus that are even harder to obey and yet know that grace saves us, not works? How do we live out this tension? I would say, well, one, it is a tension that we need to to live with, not a solution that you can solve. It's a tension that you need to manage. And here's what I want to walk in through as we start to land the plane and have a conversation. Two points I want to make. God's grace should never excuse our obedience. Does that make sense? Your understanding of God's grace should never land on your heart in a way that makes you excuse the urgency to obey Jesus. But on the flip side, our obedience should never make us forget God's grace. You should never look at grace and say, well, that's a license for me to do what I want because God will always forgive me. That's a misapplication of grace. And you should never look at your own obedience and say, well, it's all about what I do. I forgot about grace because I got to keep it up. You see where this tension lands? You've got to keep the tension that grace is not a license and obedience is not a ladder. Grace can be a license and say, well, God forgives me. And is it true? Is it true that God forgives you? Come on. Is it true that if you sinned seven times this week and the worst sin that you could imagine, that God's forgiveness is big enough to forgive you? Okay, so that's true. Now, is it true that Jesus also says, love me and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Who says that's hard to do? Y'all better be raising your hands. That's really hard to do. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. There is a attention we have to manage. If you're walking around thinking grace is a license, you're missing grace. If you're walking around thinking your obedience is what gets you into more of God's favor, you're missing the fact, the reality, the beauty of obedience. 
what God does is in the gospel is shifts obedience. But it's the same thing as Israel. Israel was delivered before they had the law and you were delivered before Jesus commanded you one single thing. And so obedience has the same place. We rely on Jesus to save us, not our righteousness. He is our righteousness. But your obedience is a response. It's not something that gains or earns anything from God. So I want you to reflect with your neighbor this question before we wrap up with the gospel and worship. Now, I'm not saying you have to pick a side always, but I think at any given moment, maybe in your life right now, are you living at one side of the spectrum and not the other? Here's the question that you would hopefully land through. Maybe for you, you would say, is your rest at the expense of your effort? You're resting so much in the grace of God that you don't give any effort to obeying. Or are you on the other side where is your effort at the expense of your rest? And you put the burden on you so much that you forget grace and forget to enjoy it and forget to be empowered by it. I know we're, com we're complex people. We don't always land in a box. But for the sake of the discussion, because I know all of us lean towards one way or the other at any given moment in our life, maybe for you just to pinpoint. I think I'm more up here recently. I've been kind of slack in my life just saying grace covers my mess and I don't do anything about it. Or maybe you're down here saying, I've been kind of hard on me, thinking it's all about me, and I forgot that Jesus is so gracious that he saved me. Wherever you are, would you just turn to your neighbor? This is honest conversation. We're all about bringing the real us to the real Jesus. That means that you're not pretending to be someone. No shame. Would you turn, find someone, two, three people max, and would you just say, hey, this is where I'm at, and then pray for each other. Really simply, this is where I find myself. This is what's going on. Would you pray for me? Can we do that in the next few moments? About five minutes on the screen, we'll come back with the gospel close and worship, but process honesty where you are with this tension.